after having been in corporate America, uh, worked for venture capital backed companies, private equity backed companies, and having having experienced all of that, I, I really had the itch to to build wealth for myself and to really build something that I could be proud of and and something that I could really call my own. And and that's when I ventured out to buy a business. What's good, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 71 of Highly Invested, where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth, and we ask entrepreneurs and high performers about the best investments they made in themselves that helped get them to where they are today. And before we start this episode, I need to plug my new YouTube series, Reality Check Cannabis in 2020. It's an eight-episode edutainment series on the cannabis plant and the new budding cannabis industry in general. It's a little passion project of mine and my effort to help eliminate the negative stigma created over the years by the failed war on drugs that wrongfully associated the most versatile plant on the planet with crime and violence as an excuse to arrest minorities to fill the prison system. Since the natural progression of time has led us to rediscover its medicinal benefits and created a recreational industry that started in Canada with the U.S. next in line, the best time to consider investing is now. So tune into my YouTube channel at Make More Capital or search Reality Check Cannabis in 2020 to learn about the top U.S. and Canadian cannabis companies right now so you can pick the front runner to invest in and cash in on the upcoming Green Rush. So today on the show, we've got the entrepreneur, mergers and acquisitions expert and founder of K2 Advisor, Dominic Rinaldi. 17 years ago, Dominic was in a transition period thinking about what to do next until he did the unexpected. He decided business ownership was in his heart, so he bought a company called Sun Acquisitions, a firm that specializes in helping entrepreneurs buy and sell businesses. This led him to eventually start K2 Advisor, which specializes in preparing entrepreneurs for business acquisitions. So we're going to learn how entrepreneurs can prepare to buy undervalued assets or create their own and what mistakes to avoid. So everyone, please welcome Dominic Rinaldi on the show. How are you doing today, Dom? Great, Jordan. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming on. And I'm glad we can connect because mergers and acquisitions world is new to me. So anyone that I can get on to pick their brain, I think it'll help me and the listeners. Awesome. Yeah. And so uh, whereabouts have you set up shop? So our firm is located in Chicago, Illinois. We're uh, just on the outskirts, uh, the city limits of Chicago, very close to uh, O'Hare Airport. Okay, convenient for business. And I wanted to ask just because we we did chat briefly before we got on to record, uh, but you mentioned that you are currently temporarily in the, I think one of the Carolinas you mentioned? That's correct. In South South Carolina, my wife and I are down here for the month of December, enjoying our holidays. We've got some people coming in to, to spend some time with us. Ah, beautiful. And just, you know, as a business owner, you know, making that leap 17 years ago, how happy are you that you have the luxury to kind of do your business in the cold, but be able to escape to somewhere warm when you can? You know, I talk about uh, business ownership being the way to personal and financial freedom, and it really is in, in many ways. Um, it gives you the flexibility to run the business any way you want or can envision uh, that suits you. It's really one of the tremendous perks of, of having your own business. Yeah, I'm well, glad you took the leap when you did to discover that. And just curious, what, what makes Chicago a good choice uh, for business or at least for, for the type of firm that you run? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> you could do this in a lot of places, but uh, at the time I had a young family. They were pretty entrenched in the school system that we were in. 
it's so going someplace else at the time didn't make a lot of sense. That aside, Chicago's a great city. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I haven't, but I've heard wonderful things it's, about it. It's a yeah. tremendous city. It's got a robust business environment, tremendous culture, was a tremendous restaurant scene pre-COVID, and I'm hoping that that will rebound after everything. And then you know, we're centrally located in, in the country, so clients flying in and out, uh, it's easy to get to us. And when we needed to fly somewhere or go someplace, it was easy enough for us to get to all parts, and it, it wasn't a full day of travel. So Chicago really, uh, on many levels, is just a tremendous town. And and that's coming from, from a kid who grew up in New York, New York City. <laughs> so a smaller version might be more of your style. Yeah, I think that could be true. A smaller big city, but yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've heard great things, especially about a lot of the smaller but big scale cities in the U.S., but I, obviously it has the reputation in the winter of the Windy City, right? So, <laughs> Yes, you, 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 you have to have some good outerwear uh, and a strong <laughs> weather constitution to, uh, to put up with the winter. And, there, and unfortunately, it's a long winter. Yeah. It, it tends to drag on for a number of months, but you know cold yourself, right? So, <laughs> I do, yeah. But it makes for tough people, I think. Good character. Yeah, exactly. No doubt. So yeah, before we jump in, let's find out a little bit more about you, Dominic. So I like to ask a lot of the guests, especially when we, you know, learn a bit more about you, what was the general consensus around money just in your family and your environment growing up? So, you know, we didn't have a lot uh, growing up. We grew up um, with very simple means. Not that we ever wanted for anything because we didn't. But money was always something that I could hear my parents talking about and, and always knew that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't an abundance of it and that my folks had to be really careful uh, growing up. And, you know, it taught me some incredible lessons. And even from an early age, um, I can always remember being pretty entrepreneurial, whether it was with a paper route or cutting lawns or uh, geez, I, I even um, I even cleaned office buildings before high school. If I got up early enough, I could drive my dad to the train station and then have the car for the day, which was a big deal for me, right? And if I was going to be up at five o'clock in the morning, I might as well, I wasn't going to go home and go back to sleep. I might as well make some money. And so I always learned from a young age, I was I was willing to, to do things, to hustle and, yeah. you know, figure out how I can sort of support myself. Good for you, Dominic. Because I mean, even in that, that, kind of mindset or your attitude in the morning could be like, no, there's no way I'm doing that. And then you're like, well, you know what? This is what I have to do. How can I make it benefit me? It's problem solving 101. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> and just on that note, it seems like you were ambitious, but was there a lot of communication on it or were you just, you know, a, a curious kid and you realized that like, you know, maybe there's more to this tool that we all use than, than, you know, I'm led to believe. No, I wish I could say I had some grand or master plan or there was some forethought behind all of that. I was, uh, I was just um, being resourceful and uh, doing the things that came naturally to me, I guess you would say, uh, but there was no master plan behind any of it. No, that's good. I mean, I think it's just growing up in a time, I mean, obviously you're a bit older than I am, but you know, communication, especially around things like money is still something that's not as common, right? So just interesting to see how communication or lack thereof really does have an impact. But do you mind sharing some of the lessons that you learned uh, early on from these different ventures? You know, I, I guess the thing that uh, I really learned was a sense of confidence that uh, if I put my mind to something, 
that I could make my way, uh, whatever that was. Uh, I knew that I was willing to hustle and I knew that I was willing to do whatever it took to get what I needed. And at the time, it was more of a need than a want because, uh, you know, I needed pocket change. I needed money so that I could take my girlfriend to the movies on Saturday night, right? Of course, you got to keep that girlfriend. Or as I got <laughs> older, I needed certain things. And, 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 I, and, you know, I was industrious that way. I was, I was able to, uh, you know, I could hold, I, at one point in time, I had held down a couple of jobs, two, three different jobs, and I was always willing to do those sorts of things. And, and I always loved new experiences. So it kind of checked a couple of boxes for me, my sense of adventure, my sense of learning lots of different things, even if my exposure was only in a you know short, condensed period of time. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, what it gave me was this underlying confidence that uh, when I put my mind to something, I'd go figure it out. That's wonderful, Dominic, because I think a lot more people just need that, you know, self-reassurance these days, especially, um, you know, after so many years of just kind of being handed or trying to be served what, you know, what you need out of convenience. So very powerful lessons. Now, what was your formal education like? Did you go to post-secondary? Uh, obviously, a couple decades back, that seemed like a very important thing to, to get ahead. So is that something you did? Did not. Okay. You know, when it comes to education, um, I, I'd say, you know, I went, I went to uh, college, but I'd say my real education came from sort of learning from the folks that I got exposed to early in my career and watching how they went about handling situations or comporting themselves and getting, you know, behind what their thinking was. And I was very lucky early in my career that I had a couple of people that I could always go to and rely on and ask some questions and learn from. And I think that shaped a lot of my thinking along with, I became a lifelong self learner. I um, have a tremendous appetite to learn as much as I can about different things. And I was always reading, um, studying, and then later in my career, I had the opportunity to be part of a internet startup when internet startups were in their infancy. So I'm going back to 97. And um, that experience taught me so much about how to start and grow a business, how to raise money, how to be nimble and resourceful, even more so than you know what I was. And, and that was sort of my on-the-job MBA, I'd say. And so I've always, throughout my career, tried to learn from the folks around me and take every situation as a learning opportunity. And I think that's worked to my advantage. Absolutely. I would agree. And I just, you know, I'm happier to hear that you almost didn't go the route that it was carved out everyone needed to, right? And you paved your own way. Because those are the kind of stories we need to hear. I just want to ask, you know, a lot of these people that you paid attention to and learned from, did at the time, did you call them mentors? No, no, you know, I, I didn't. I think it was at the early stage of the term mentor, you know, being really popularized. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm probably a fair amount older than you. I'm, I'm in my late 50s, bearing down on 60. And so, but you knew, you knew there were people that were in your corner and you knew you could go to them and have a frank conversation and break down a situation and know you were going to get good advice. Right. And, uh, and for that, I was very thankful and very lucky. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and just to think of 
even the word mentor now, people still almost don't like to use that word, but it's, it's certainly important when you have, you know, when you get advice from someone that you trust versus someone that you don't trust, it seems like a no brainer whose advice you want to take, right? No doubt. And I just find it fascinating that without realizing it, people will seek advice from their peers because it's more comforting when realistically, if you want the right advice, you want to ask someone that's done it before. And do you mind sharing us a little bit about the startup? What was the, uh, what, what did you do in the technology space there? Yeah, so after spending 14 years in corporate America, I had the opportunity to go join a startup uh, as one of the very early stage employees. Okay, so sorry, Dom, uh, then do you mind if we just, you mentioned, because I guess it's been 14 years since you got into the real world, and then you joined the startup. So do you mind just, you know, what did you get into uh, straight out of school? And then I guess we'll go from there then into the startup. My first, the, the first part of my career, I spent 14 years with Sprint Corporation in the telecom industry. And this was back when the telecom industry was in its infancy after the baby bells got broken up. So in the United States, uh, there were regional telephone companies that provided telephone service. And in 1984, a judge by the name of Judge Green deregulated the telecom industry and basically broke up the AT&T monopoly that had existed forever. Sounds just like Standard Oil in the early 1900s. Yeah, I mean, created this unbelievable opportunity. And uh, I was lucky. I I literally got into the industry the year that Judge Green approved deregulation. And so I I was there on the ground floor. And what a great run for somebody young and out of school and the industry was growing and it was incredibly dynamic and i spent 14 years with sprint uh, corporation and uh i was very lucky you know great company i worked with great people for those first 14 years and a lot of opportunities to move and grow and uh, take on new roles and new challenges and uh the end of 14 years, we went through a reorganization, one of many that I had gone through throughout my career. I had the option of taking a really nice package and going out and right. seeing what I wanted to do next or moving my family. And I opted to take the package. And interestingly enough, I almost bought my first business back then. But instead, I got a phone call from a friend who had worked for me. Uh, at Sprint and said, hey, I got a call on this on this opportunity to be the executive vice president of this new startup. And uh, I don't want it, but I think you may be a great fit. And long story short, my hiatus uh, after leaving Sprint lasted all of two months. And I wound up uh, taking this opportunity and joining this startup that was the second company in the world to offer an internet reservation, hotel reservation. And uh, the first, just trivia question here, uh, the first company to ever take a reservation, hotel reservation over the internet was Holiday Inn. Wow. And we were the second platform to take one. Wow, that's amazing. It just seems like it worked out perfectly because you're like, no, I think I think there might be more out there. And then you fall into that position. Yep, yep. And and so how long did that, did that startup turn into a uh, sustainable business? Well, it did not. Um, <laughs> so um, we... We experienced incredible highs. We went from just a couple of employees. I think I might have been the 17th employee to join. We raised over $100 million, $109 million, grew the company to 186 employees in, by the time we were done, I think we had employees in nine countries. We had built an international platform. We filed to go public in April of 2000. 
Uh, and if you know anything about the markets, the market crashed that that month. And unfortunately, the IPO market for startups then completely evaporated. And so we never got public. Our technology survived because we had had a bunch of strategic investors who could use the technology. Yeah. So technology wound up surviving. But unfortunately, the dream of uh, having an IPO and enjoying the riches that would have followed and uh, who knows what else would have followed did never materialized. Uh, and, you know, look, in hindsight, I could look back on that experience, though, and I referenced it already. It was like my MBA because you, I just learned so much uh, with that opportunity and it got exposed yeah. to things that working in corporate America, I would have never been exposed to. Yeah. Well, just thank you for that perspective, too, because, you know, in a, in a time where, you know, bubbles have kind of come and, and went and, um, you know, for a lot of people, especially more my age, the we hear about the Internet bubble. But, you know, in 2018, there was the cannabis bubble, um, the electric vehicle bubble. Like, it's just it, it's good experience, I imagine, to go through that once and, and then not make the mistake of kind of falling or not necessarily falling, but just getting uh, too, I guess, uh, drawn into the hype. Yep, certainly does. Yeah, that's really cool. And so I guess after that, basically, when did you end up leaving that company and then decide to to buy your first business on acquisitions? Yeah, it was a couple of years later and I had uh, I went back into corporate America and um, and ran a, a national sales organization uh, for a couple of years. And uh, and after that, it was it was that point in time where after having been in corporate America, uh, worked for venture capital-backed companies, private equity-backed companies, and having having experienced all of that, I, I really had the itch to to build wealth for myself and to really uh, build something that I could be proud of and and something that I could really call my own. and And that's when I ventured out to buy a business and. Uh, I'd considered starting something versus buying something, but at the end of the day, I really thought that buying a business was my path forward. I had a young family, uh, and you know, with the failure rates of startups being so high, you know, the mortality rate of startups is fifty over fifty percent fail inside of three years, and I think the statistics are you know incredibly horrible once you get out to five years. I, and I didn't want to start, I didn't want to start from scratch, right. so. I thought buying something that was already established was really the right path for me. Fair, fair. And well, it, it seems it, it you had a lot of business experience, so it wasn't like something brand new to you. But did you know anything about running a firm that specializes in helping entrepreneurs buy and sell businesses? I didn't know near what I should know, but I, it's not <laughs> like I knew nothing because I had been involved in um, some transactions in previous positions. So right. I was familiar with the process of acquiring a business, going through diligence, raising money, going through integrations of companies. So I had been exposed to many of the facets of um, what an acquisition, uh, what's entailed in an acquisition. But now going into you know this business where I was going to help folks, I was drinking out of a fire hose a bit. But um, that's why I wanted to buy an established business that had systems and processes in place that had a track record and it would give me time uh, to figure out what I wanted to do with the business. And that's exactly what happened. Good. Yeah, that makes sense. And did it take you long to get settled in? 
Well, you know, I would argue that it took me a decade. <laughs> um, it <laughs> yeah. depends on how you define settled in. Um, to well, that's where, a very good point. It's a very, here, sorry, let me, let me uh, rephrase that then because it's a very open-ended question. But yeah. I guess from, from the get-go, what, can you take us through the day, like a day in life when you first started? Yeah, well, a day in the life, a day in the life for me, uh, and this may not be for everybody that buys a business, but I had decided I wanted to learn every single aspect of the business. Uh, and the only way I was going to do that was by, do, by doing it. And so I set out very early on to undertake all of the roles so I could get my arms around really what it took to be successful. And, and I'm, I'm so happy that I chose that path for myself coming into this business because um, it did two things for me. One is obvious, right? It gave me the education I needed. But two, I quickly became the best producer in the firm. And so it gave me the credibility because I was the best at uh, working with clients and helping them achieve their goals it made it easy for me to then grow the business and recruit people in because I had this street cred that people knew if they came on board, I was going to be able to show them what to do and how to do it. And um, so I'm very happy that I did that. And But but on the flip side, so if there's a downside to that, it delayed my ability to create a self-managing business and one... Uh, that wasn't reliant on me. So, you know, for, for probably too long, the business was reliant on me uh, until I could ultimately get myself out of that. And, and I did, I ultimately worked myself out of that, but the goal uh, for many people is to have a self-managing business. And, you know, that took me longer because I, from, from the starting point that I, I decided to take. Of course, yeah, well, I guess from the get-go, if you know, you have the intention of learning every aspect and you're soaking up information you're learning, but then you don't want to be too reliant on doing everything yourself, right? And not outsourcing it to people that are perfectly as capable. So that's correct. That seems normal. And well, just as the top producer, did it just feel like you almost finally came into a role that fit you? Like basically if you're the top producer in the firm that you own, are you uh, leading the business development in that sense? So, um, what leading the business development, you know, so everybody um, in the firm is a producer. Well, not everybody. We have support staff, but most of the folks are producers. Okay. So sorry, Dominic, do you mind, do you mind just providing context then kind of just like, not necessarily you need to get into it, but the structure of just like how, how it started off when you bought it. It's just to give context to. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in a mergers and acquisitions firm, you have what you call advisors, and the advisors are the folks that work with clients on helping them either buy or sell a business. And then we are all supported by a marketing staff, a business development staff, and analysts and things like that. And, um, and so when I say I became the, the uh, highest producer, I was literally doing transactions. So I was managing my own clients. Mm -hmm. I was getting transactions done. And, um, and so I became a producer for the office alongside many of the other advisors, uh, while I also managed 
the those advisors. And so it was a dual role for me. It was like a player coach. Right. Well, uh, it's like mentor and mentorship and mentoree, right? In a way too. Yeah. 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 I think player coach is probably the best example. You know, I was playing on the field, yeah, uh, but I also was coaching at the same time. And, uh, and like I said, I mean, it really gave me the opportunity to learn the business inside and out. And it's, it's a business that uh, I don't want to say it came naturally to me, but once I learned all the things I needed to learn, it was, uh, it was a natural fit for my talents. Yeah, it takes time, but uh, you know, it seems like he, being patient has been very helpful for you because you don't rush into things and at least you know, when this came together, you were ready. And so do you mind sharing what some of the biggest lessons that you learned uh, throughout your time running Sun Acquisitions? So I, <laughs> there's so many, I don't even know where to start. But uh, one thing, one thing I, I will point to is I'm always willing to try something new. I don't make big bets. So I won't open my checkbook up and make this massive bet on something. But if there's a credible case to try something new, whether it's a new marketing uh, strategy uh, or a, 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 a different shift or a different product or a different service, I am willing to try almost anything if there's a credible case for it and see if there's something there. And somebody doesn't have to prove the concept out completely, but I have to see that there's a possibility that could, there could be something there. And look, I've tried a ton of things that just flat out didn't work. Even to this day, I'm trying stuff that doesn't work for our firm, but I'm always willing to try new stuff. And the other big thing that I would point to is I've been very careful with our balance sheet throughout the years. I've never gotten to a point where we have uh, taken on debt um, and even taken on debt to the point where you know we couldn't service it um, and I've always been able to put my head on my pillow. And, and when there have been rough times in the market, like the Great Recession was a pretty rough time for us with M&A transactions, we got through that where many of our competitors did not because I was careful with our balance sheet. We had money on the balance sheet and we could withstand a downturn. Uh, and I didn't, let, I didn't have to let anybody go during that period. We tightened our belts in a lot, you know, we tightened the belt in a lot of ways, but we didn't have to let anybody go. Amazing. And there had been, you know, periods over, you know, 16, 17 years where things have gotten a little bit tight, but we've never, you know, had our faces up against the wall, our backs up against the wall and had to make really horrible decisions as a result. Yeah. Well, kudos to you. Cause that, you know, one for me signals just a sign of good leadership. So, you know, if you're helping your team through that and you don't let anyone go and you've kept your balance sheet that healthy that, you know, you don't get too overextended, I think, like, that's an amazing success to think that you got through 20, 2008 fairly unscathed. So good on you. Yep. Thankfully. Not many people can say that, right? Yeah, I will say certainly a lot of my competitors that were in the market couldn't have said that. Uh, many of them went out of business uh, and were calling us to see if we wanted to take on their book of business, in fact. <laughs> so, Gosh, it's, it's cash is king. Yes. It's, you need these kind of rough times to come around once in a while to remind yes, you. Without a doubt. Yeah. The, other thing that I would, the other thing that I would mention, too, is um, culture. It gets talked about a lot in a lot of places and a lot of different capacities, um, and I know a lot of people, it's hard to put your finger on it and, 
it's almost overtalked in some respects. But what I will tell you is that I learned early on that if you have folks, even if they are tremendous performers, but they don't fit and they bring down your team or they're divisive to your team, it's not worth it. And I've been very careful through the years right. when I sense that somebody, even if they're a tremendous producer, and I've had this situation before, will part ways with them because having a harmonious, productive work environment is of utmost importance to me. I really want to know that, that folks are pulling for each other and working together and care about um, the outcome collectively for themselves, our clients, and our firm. I really like that you brought that up, actually, because it's so common where, you know, a top producer at a company might actually be the biggest dick and kind of, you know, everyone else's performance is affected by that one person in a way. Yeah. And it's common, right? But um, on, on that note, just because like I, I've heard that as a, as a boss, one of the hardest things you can do, but one of the best things you can do is fire someone right away when you just know that it's not going to work. And has that worked worked out for you? Um, I want to say mostly yes, but we're all, you know, we're human, right? And sometimes yeah. uh, we want to see the positive side. We hold out hope that something will change or maybe somebody will see the way or, you know, if you set an example that, you know, they'll follow that example. And so I think we all hold out, you know, some hope. And and so I, I have not acted as fast as I should have in certain cases. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent of the time, I've acted. It just maybe took me longer sometimes than others. Yeah, no, that's a great response because it's true. At the end of the day, you're human, and you want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I've never ran a company or necessarily fired anyone, so it's it's more from listening to podcasts and other things like that. But I've I've certainly heard that um, it it just it, it's one of those bigger uh, decisions that have has a longer lasting impact, and a lot of people don't realize it. But it's not an easy thing to do, right? To let someone go. It's not. It's uh, yeah. it. Uh, no matter how many times you've done it, it's never. A, it's just never easy. Yeah. So tough line, but you know, I guess in order to, like you said, keep the culture strong, it it is one of those things though that that has to happen sometimes. And on the note of the M and A market, I wanted to ask just you know, since the start of the pandemic, uh, since March, how has the M and A market changed or evolved? It has been uh, an incredibly active year for us. We are about to cap off our best year ever, and that's on the heels of 2019 being our best year ever, and we're about to crush our 2019 performance. And so the M&A market has, uh, has really picked up steam. And I know that's, you know, people hear me say that and they're like, how could that possibly be given how many companies are struggling? Well, there's more IPOs this year, I think, than ever. That's exactly right. There you go. Right. I mean, when you think you understand how markets, you know, react and perform, uh, you look at the IPO market, right? (laughs) Right. You know, there's and there's a number of things that are fueling the activity at the moment Um, on the buyer side. Interest rates are at historic lows. You have an unbelievable abundance of money that's available to people to make acquisitions, and banks are continuing to lend uh, for acquisitions. And then you've had so you've had with those two things, you've had an increase in the number of buyers in the market, and the increase in buyers in the market has been from a couple of places. Uh, One, you have companies 
who are either going sideways or have lost some ground, but they're still cash rich and acquisitions are a tremendous way for them to grow their business. And so right. companies out there looking to acquire maybe competitors or do vertical integrations. Another thing that you've had is private equity groups who raised collectively over a billion and a half dollars pre-pandemic are sitting on uh, historic levels of cash and looking for places to invest that money. And then the third category of buyers that have increased are all of the you know, executives or middle management people who have either been furloughed, lost their jobs, had their jobs um, redesigned and they've taken on more responsibility or they've had their, their pay cut. And these folks have flooded into the market realizing that you know maybe it's time for them to buy their own businesses and and build wealth for themselves so we've had a steady increase in in those three categories of buyers and that combined with chasing fewer really good deals that are available on the marketplace and so it's really you put all that together and um, it's been an incredibly active market Wow, I, I couldn't imagine because at first thought, just based on the circumstances, someone would assume that no, it's not the right time. Maybe the uneducated person, but based on all the factors, it's almost like a like a perfect storm for for M and A. It almost is, uh, and if you're the owner of a business and you've been thinking about selling, I have to tell you, I I can't recall a better market. If your if your business is healthy and and you're really ready to move aside, I can't I can't remember a better market than right now. There have been really good markets in my 17 yeah. years, but this market right now is incredible for, for anybody that's looking to sell. There are so many buyers in the market. Right, eh? Well, it just goes to show that cash is king. And when the tide goes out, you really see who's you know swimming in debt and swimming in cash. Correct. Yeah. So um, why is preparation so important for anyone looking to start or buy a business? Now, obviously, it you know, seems like an obvious answer, but what would, uh, or seems like an easy question, but what would your answer be, Dominic? So over my 16 years, 17 years almost of doing this and having been involved in, personally involved in over 300 transactions, if I were to point to one Achilles heel when people are either buying or selling a business, it's that they failed to fully prepare and properly prepare for their transaction. And the results can be, you know, anywhere from they missed, you know, their ROI targets, the return on investment targets, to they, you know, have a devastating loss and, and maybe a complete loss of their investment. And so pre and preparation is one of those things where you, you should absolutely take the time, surround yourself with the right advisors and really think about what the outcome is that you want and need and build a plan for it so that you have the highest chance of being able to you know hit your hit your targets whatever they are and time and time again i see too many people enter our office right. who really haven't done the proper homework and are not really fully prepared for you know what's ahead of them in a transaction interesting so this might also seem like a silly question but how many people or maybe say entrepreneurs that look to buy a business, you know, are really just focused on the outcome and not the like not the process, and therefore 
it doesn't work because they they haven't prepared. Yeah, absolutely. They haven't, you know, they haven't thought through all the steps. They don't understand all the nuances. They haven't surrounded themselves with advisors that can really guide them uh, through the process. And you think when you think about it, I mean, I can look at my own firm. Most of the people that buy and sell businesses do it maybe once in their lifetime or twice at most, right? That you know you don't have a you know, you don't have a lot of experience to pull from. So the odds of you making a mistake or falling into a you know a, a common pitfall is very high. Right. And that's putting a you know your entire investment at risk. Yeah, but like just curious, like a lot of the people that you see, are they fairly prepared? And it's less of like a thinking out loud. Like how many how many people might you see approach your firm that are not prepared? Like percentage wise, out of a hundred. Oh, the vast majority. I, I over eighty percent. Over eighty percent. Interesting. For sure. Yeah, because I imagine just a lot of people want to own a business because they want passive income, right? But then they don't realize that that really would come with the process of getting the business going and and then eventually making that. But make makes sense. And so, when did you start K two Advisor? So K two Advisor was uh, we had a soft launch in January, and then we really went to market in April of this year. And the precursor to all of that is we uh, launched a podcast in June of 2019, and the podcast uh, was a build up to launching K two. And, and the reason for all of this is I really wanted to have a firm that helped people prepare for their transactions. So our, our M&A firm, Sun Acquisitions, really helps people once they decide they want to go do a transaction, whether it's buy or sell. And, and we're skilled at doing those transactions. But, but that firm wasn't focused on helping people really prepare. And so I see this massive opportunity in the market to help people prepare. So we launched the podcast M&A Unplugged in June of 2019 to start to educate people and give them information. And we invite people on who have either bought and sold a business. We invite attorneys and accountants who are skilled in M&A transactions. Smart. All with the goal of educating our listeners. And then that led up to us doing a soft launch of K2. And like I said, then a more formal launch in April. And now we're out in the marketplace and we've started to coach and consult with uh, people uh, both individually and in group coaching sessions, uh, whether it's how to prepare your business for a sale, whether the sale is today or maybe five years from now, the things you need to do so that you can maximize value. And then if you're a buyer, the things that you need to do to you know prepare to really buy a business and, and go out and execute against that plan. Yeah, well, it seems like a no-brainer and like a really good game plan. So just curious, is it Sun Acquisitions and then is K2 Advisors like a subsidiary of your main firm? They're separate companies. Um, we, okay, because I was going to say, it's have... almost like you're getting vertically integrated <laughs> in the acquisition space by yeah. <laughs> you know creating the firm and then you've got the, the prep- education preparation company under it. So Yeah, but the skill set to, to coach and help people prepare is, is really a different skill set than um, managing and doing transactions. Uh, and right. that's why they are two separate companies. Um, you, you really yeah. need, a, you need a more patient um, and mindful approach to coaching people, you know, because that could take some time. Whereas on the transaction mm-hmm. side, Sun Acquisition side, 
that's all about speed. Once you decide you're going to do a transaction, the faster you go, the better. And, uh, and so the, the, those are completely different skill sets. So the resources in K2 will be different than the, than the folks we have on, on the Sun acquisition side. Right, of course. It's like you've got on the Sun acquisition side, people ready to buy, ready, and then you've got people that are kind of just, hmm, do I want to try this? And, and that's where you kind of bring them in. It's a great lead magnet, really. So what can you say are some of the biggest blind spots that entrepreneurs uh, face when trying to buy or start a, a company? Sure. You know, well, let me let me start with uh, I am a big proponent of buy versus start. And I started to mention earlier, you know, the, the some of the downfalls of starting, you know, being that, you know, 50 over 50 percent fail inside of three years. And I think, you know, in some sectors you can get close to 90 percent failure inside of five years. And, you know, so starting from scratch to me is really a risky business because you still probably have to fund your lifestyle while you're trying to figure out how to get clients and do lots of things. And so for me, I'm really a pretty big proponent of, I think buying the right business that's a good fit for you, it it makes much more sense. Right, okay. So, you know, some of the pitfalls that people fall into are, they don't really take, you know, starting at the beginning, a, a true inventory and strategic approach to uh, their search. And what do I mean by that? So if you own a company and you want to add something on, really taking a step back and saying, well, what do, what do we really need? Where, where should the ad be? Should we be buying competitors? Should we do geographic expansion? Do we need to grab people? Do we need to grab technology? Should we doing, be doing a vertical integration? Do we plan to in, uh, integrate a company into ours or will it be a standalone? And this is just a few of the many, many questions that companies need to be asking themselves so that they can get down to their what I call their acquisition criteria, what is going to be their avatar for an acquisition so that we can then build with them a profile from there and, and a target list of companies that that fit that avatar so they know what the universe of potential acquisitions looks like look like and if you're an individual or an investor you know wanting to make an acquisition you should go through the same process maybe you're not asking yourself the questions about integrating you know one company into another but you should still be asking all those same questions and being crystal clear about what you want and if you're an entrepreneur, you also need to be clear about what you're good at and what you're not good at and where you think you can move the needle on a new business. Because if you've spent your career in retail and you wake up one day and say, well, I think retail is dead for the future, so I'm going to go buy a manufacturing business, that's probably you know a big miss, right? I mean, you were, <laughs> you were swinging for the fences and you're nowhere near the ball. Yeah. And, 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 and oh, by the way, there's probably no bank out there that's going to lend you the money because you just don't have experience in that industry. Now, I'm using a really dramatic example to make a point, but th- there are all sorts of shades of that where you really need to be honest with yourself to figure out what your plan should be. Right. I imagine being honest with yourself is one of the biggest things because when anyone's not honest with themselves, that leads to just, you know, a slippery slope, right? Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, it's easier to be, lie to yourself as an employee, but not as a business owner. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
that's where I think it would make a big difference, right? Yeah. So yeah, there's no hiding from yourself when you when you own the business. <laughs> no, exactly. Thanks for sharing. Those are great points, Dom. And I, I wouldn't even have thought of kind of making the avatar. And that, that's really cool. Like, do, do you have a sort of software that does that yet, or is that in the plans? No software that does it. We we really it's it's a series of questionnaires that we bring people through, and one on one discussions. And it, and it rarely happens in one meeting, by the way, because invariably things come up and people hadn't thought about something or they never realized that an opportunity might be available to themselves or maybe they should go in this direction. And so in, in reality, it's a series of meetings that ultimately get you to where you really should be focused. Good. And yeah, probably a lot more personal still. So you don't necessarily want to throw that off to any algorithm yet, but yeah. Makes sense. And so how can someone looking to buy a business, like what are some ways that they can maximize the value and reduce their risks? Yeah. So um, maximizing value, uh, there's lots of ways to maximize value. The obvious one is don't overpay for a business, right? (laughs) Pay a fair market value and not anymore. And so understanding the market, understanding how businesses are valued and this is where surrounding yourself with really experienced advisors can be invaluable. A good example is uh, we recently right. represented a couple of entrepreneurs, who two, two guys who had worked together and decided that they were going to pool their money together and go buy a business. And they were focused on the aerospace industry. They retained us and... Um, through a targeted search, we went out. At the end of the day, they acquired a business uh, in the aerospace parts industry. And what was tremendous, you know, we represented the buyer in this case, right? But what was tremendous is we realized through the bank that they got the, bu- they got the business at about 70% of the market value uh, because the bank had done their own independent appraisal. And you know, we'd love to see those outcomes when we represent a buyer, you know, and, and we were able to sort of guide them through where the market was at, uh, what a deal structure might look like, and a tremendous outcome for them. And so certainly not overpaying is one. The terms that you reach on a business, you know, what is the seller going to do post-transaction? Are they going to stick around if they're going to mm. stick around for how long? Are there clawbacks in the in the deal so that if the business doesn't perform to a certain level, does the price get reduced? You know, things like that where when there are certain risks in the business, you mitigate those risks through the deal structure and the negotiation. And any number of examples like that that I could give you. Makes sense, right? I guess, I mean, that's what you're paying the advisors for to make sure that you're getting the best bang for your buck because that's where the inexperienced buyer really is going to make possible mistakes and trying to do that sort of stuff themselves, cutting little, or not to say just cutting, but just like small changes that advisors can make probably save six figures, right? Or you know, five figures in a way. So that's where that's why you want to pay for or get the best bang for your buck. Good advisors should more than cover whatever you paid them uh, in the yeah. transaction because they either made you money more than that or they saved you money or they minimized your risks in some substantial way and more than wound up paying for their fee. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, anyone preparing, you know who to, you know who to go to, K2 Advisor. 
And so let's get to the big question then, Dominic. Um, you know, over your lifetime, what are what would you say are three of the biggest investments that you've made in yourself that helped get you to where you are today? So one being a lifelong learner. Um, you know, being willing to learn new things, read, um, for sure has, has been a big key for me. Uh, the willingness to, to try new things, um, and take, I'd say appropriate risks, um, has always been for me, um, a big, a big piece of my success. Um, I'm willing to try new stuff. I'm willing, I'm willing to get out on a limb, uh, and get outside of my, my comfort zone it, by, by far. Great habits to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think, you know, to, to, to round it out, uh, I, I'd say that, um, I've maintained really key relationships, uh, throughout my life, um, uh, relationships that I covet and, uh, and nurture, uh, and, and have a really good network of people that I know I could pick up the phone and call and rely on, um, if I, uh, if I needed some advice or some counsel. That's a, that's a great answer. That's a running theme of this podcast as well. It seems like, you know, obviously investing in yourself is the biggest thing, constant education, but it's, you know, the people that you connect with and spend your time with, right? It's so important. No doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that, Dom. And then I've got a few more. So would you consider yourself an early adapter of new technology? No, absolutely not. No. Okay. Well, then what inspired the, uh, the M&A Unplugged podcast? Obviously, you had a reason for it. Um, was there anything else besides the launch for K2? You know, but I didn't think that that was new technology, right? I, uh, True. Podcasting okay, yeah. had been around. Actually, I mean, I'm amazed to hear that, you know, as I got into podcasting, and maybe you've learned <laughs> this, there were people that were podcasting back in the 90s, I think, in some I know, form. I think Adam Curry was the god, the pod father, they call him. And uh, no, it's true. I guess context yeah. wise, it's been going on for a lot longer than yeah. I knew. So, you know, so I don't think I'm, uh, um, I, I, I don't know that I have the stomach to adapt brand new technologies. I want to see, I take a wait and see. But if I see it's working, uh, then I'm willing to, you know, make, make an investment. Uh, but yeah, I, I can't think of many times where I was on the bleeding edge of, uh, of a new technology. Yeah, that's okay. Maybe the startup in, in 97 when you got that in was, there. That was as close as you get. There you go. <laughs> that was the wave you rode. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And then, um, well, you've been involved in over 300 transactions. Do you have any funny, memorable, non-confidential stories that you can share or, you know, just good wins that you're very proud of? You know, a recent win that I'll talk about, which I'm really proud of, and my team did an unbelievable job on, um, six years ago, we met a gentleman who owned a business and he came to us and he asked us to do a market value for him and we did it. And um, at the end of the market value, he picked up his head and said, this was tremendous. I appreciate all the effort and work that went into this, but this is not my number. I need, I need double this in order to be able to exit the business. And we hit it off immediately with this gentleman. And we agreed that we would give him a roadmap of things that he needed to focus on. And we continue to stay in touch. And uh, every year thereafter, about the same time of the year, we would touch base, we would update the analysis, 
And every year he would thank us profusely and, uh, and tell us the same thing that it wasn't enough. And we knew it wasn't because he had told us what his number was. And then uh, this past year, end of 2019, we did the same analysis and uh, we rang the bell. He, he, mm-hmm. The number was going to be enough if he went out to market. Long story short, we took him out to market. We sold his business this year after being on the market for five years. We got him over his uh, his value number because oh, we uh, generated six offers on the business, and he uh, he walked away a very happy man. And I and you know to me, that's a, a perfect example. And in fact, we're doing a case study on it right now about how owners should approach their businesses. They should take a long term approach. They should understand what their business is. Uh, at all times, understand the levers that increase or decrease value, and then go work on it. And so they're ready. Whenever the date is that they decide to leave their businesses, they know they're ready. They've done all they can to prepare because the date that they leave the business may be at a date of their choosing, and it may be at a date not of their choosing. And unfortunately, when it's a date not of their choosing, it's usually not under good circumstances. Either there's been a divorce or a partnership breakup or, or the, the owner has taken ill and needs to leave the business. And if you had taken the time to do all the things that you should do to prepare your business, when that date comes, you're fully prepared. You can leave without regrets knowing you did all you could um, versus if you never did the work and one, that date, you know, was thrust upon you, you probably left a lot of money on the table and you probably introduced a lot of risk. Yeah, well, talk about good timing, the end of that decade-long bull market. I'm glad to hear that guy got it up to par. <laughs> yep, without a doubt. Yeah, well, good for him to recover the business, but I just I lo- thank you for sharing that example because when you, you know, you take a step back and realize how long some it can sometimes take in order to, you know, fulfill a service for a client. Just because it doesn't work the first time, it's that the fact that you kept that relationship with him, that's, right. that's, that, that's why I guess being a business owner, you definitely have to have, you've got to have those different qualities and the patience to deal with people that, uh, you know, you just don't have, you don't need as an employee, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. And so last one before we go, uh, is there anything that you learned recently, Dominic, that you think is important or worth sharing? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We've tried a number of different marketing uh, things recently and um, things that you would think would work. It appears that other people are doing it successfully mm-hmm. and you buy into it and then you go do it and you realize, oh my God, this is a miserable failure for us as a business. <laughs> and, and so we did that recently uh, with some Facebook advertising. Uh, we, we had seen some other people doing it and, you know, from afar, it looked like it was, uh, you know, potentially a good investment and we did it and we realized, wow, what a horrible investment this was. And so, understanding that, um, you know, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to miss it, you're you're not going to get it right all the time. But at least you tried, you can check it off the list. And you won't make that mistake again. So learn from it Mm. and move on and go try something else. Good. That's a good one. Now, just curious, how long did you try Facebook ads for? Oh, I pulled the plug pretty quickly. Um, I think that would be the mistake, though, unfortunately. I mean, Personally, I don't have much success on Facebook ads, but I also made the mistake of pulling the plug too quickly. But I mean, the fact is that you do need to spend money on there. So it's it's one thing where it's like, well, it's 
might not be worth the trade-off if you have a better option. And I do, and I agree, and I agree with you completely. I think it works for a lot of people. We happen to be a very high ticket and a very high touch right. and a very confidential process. People buying and selling businesses like to keep those things confidential. And so we we gave it a good 60 days. I mean, I I think that's a good, and we spent a lot of money and I think that's a good amount of time um, to have given it. And and we did it with, you know, a real pro and I have nothing but accolades for them, even though we didn't get the results we wanted, they were a tremendous firm to work with. Right. Okay. But, But we proved it just for us and what we do and what we offer, it wasn't the right fit. That's a good point. Yeah. Hey, if, if you've got that personal touch, don't, don't let that go to waste. If you know, if that's what people come to you for. That's exactly right. Yeah. Awesome. Dominic. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your, your wisdom and your knowledge with us. So where can people find more about you and your services online? Yeah. So, uh, I would visit either of our websites. Uh, if you're ready for a transaction today, you know, you're ready. Uh, you can go to sun, acquisitions.com that's s-u-n acquisitions.com or if you think you need some help preparing uh, to buy or sell a business you can visit our k2 advisor site which is k the number two a-d-v-i-s-e-r.com and on that site we have a couple of free resources Uh, there's a free resources tab some assessments that you can take, whether you're looking to buy or sell, uh, that will give you some immediate feedback as to whether or not you're really ready to buy or sell a business. Good. Take advantage of those tools, listeners. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Dominic. It's been a pleasure. Jordan, thank you so much for having me. And that is it for episode 71, everyone. I want to thank you so much for tuning in and listening. You can find more information about Dominic in the show notes if you want to reach out to him. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with any friends or like-minded individuals. But if you also got some value out of it and learned something, I would really appreciate it if you can go leave a review or rating as it shows me who's listening. And it does really help my podcast get seen by other people and helps with the organic reach. And with this being the last episode of 2020, I just want to wish all of you a very happy new year. 2020 was quite ridiculous, so let's crush 2021 and start it on the right foot together. This is your host, Jordan Hiley, signing off, everyone. Stay highly invested in yourselves. Till next time.